Man, great to have you here. We are uh, coming off a huge Easter celebration last week. Just an exciting time, a uh, great time as we packed this place out and made much of our King. And a uh, wonderful time together, smiling, laughing, high-fiving, cheering, lifting this roof up. Uh, numbers, I don't know if you looked in the um, bulletin, but we were over 3,000, like 3,097 uh, is where we ended up. So fantastic there just to be able to bring so many people together and make much of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what it's all about. And uh, loved what we did. We had so many different things going on. You're like, how did you fit that many people in here? It wasn't easy, man. Like, but uh, it was a good time. We uh, had chairs all over in here at the first service and we had the 309 used as well to spill over. We used uh, Midwest Technical Institute for an extra parking uh, for visit or for volunteers so that uh, we could leave spots open for visitors here and God truly blessed in the midst of all that. So amen to that. Hey, you know, we are a church planting church and uh, we planted Harvest Bible Chapel Denver several years ago. They had a huge Easter service as well. They were well over 1,300 there. So uh, just a huge thing going on in Denver. Yeah, awesome just to see what God's doing. And then on top of that, you go down to Haiti, and uh, they had an Easter service there. And and uh, we're trying to figure out what the numbers are, English, you know. Uh, still trying to figure out the English things a little bit. So it's either 900 or 1,200 if the 300 kids were counted in the 900 then it's 900 otherwise it's added on and it's 1200 either way that's a huge number of what god's doing down there massive and uh, that's just a couple of church plants and within harvest and uh man here's the deal it is not about numbers but it is about making much of our king and sometimes that happens with numbers do you know what i'm saying like it's good to rally it together and it's good to make much of him and uh so just an awesome time for that So we are in a sermon series here called Don't Be Fooled. Launched it last week. Don't be fooled. The world has a lot to say about who Jesus Christ is, and quite frankly, none of it really should be listened to. All right? Don't be fooled, man. Don't be taking what the world has to offer and saying, well, I guess that's who Jesus is. And and, uh, there's a lot of things that are false that we need to set down. And so we're walking through four different elements last week and the next three weeks here, uh, talking through the truth of Jesus Christ, who he is from Scripture and what we can know about him from Scripture. All right? So a few things that the world says about Jesus. And uh, tell me, true or false, get ready. I'm going to need you to cry out, true or false here. Uh, Jesus never existed. False. False. Okay. Absolutely not correct. And there's enough history out there. There's enough, um, reality outside of scripture proving his existence. There was a man, Jesus of Nazareth and check this. He rocked their world with who he displayed himself to be. That's who Jesus Christ was. And the truth of who he is, we can now find in Scripture, recorded and passed on down. Uh, Jesus never existed. The second one, uh, Jesus, well, he was just demon-possessed. Okay, and we're like, I don't think I've really heard a lot of people say that. It's actually recorded in the passage we're going to be in today. And uh, Jesus, demon-possessed, they literally were like, I don't know. Not sure if I can trust the guy. I think he's being influenced by the dark side. And uh, that's where they went. Jesus, demon-possessed. Here's another one. Uh, Jesus, listen to this now. He's just a good teacher. Answer? Yeah, you got a real problem with that statement because good teacher said he's God. So that either makes him God or not a very good teacher. You know what I'm saying? And that's where we're going today. Jesus is God. 
We're looking very clearly at that declaration and at that truth and letting it settle in. May we respond to him as God Almighty. All right. Jesus is God. Don't be fooled. The scriptures are clear. So turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 10, verse 22. We got ushers coming forward and uh, they're going to pass Bibles out. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and they'll get one to you. All right. Just raise your hand. They'll get a Bible to you. John chapter 10, verse 22, a couple of truths that Jesus claimed that make it clear who he is, all right? And uh, so here we go. First, Jesus claimed to be one with the Father. Hear his voice and follow. Jesus claimed to be one with the Father. Hear his voice and follow. All right, we're going to start in verse 22. It says, at that time, the <clears throat> feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. At that time, uh, at what time? Make sure you always have the context when you're reading scripture. Make sure you're not reading it. John chapter 10, verse 22, like it lived on its own. Make sure you see what it's couched in the middle of, all right? And so there's some things going on before it. Jesus is actually teaching the truth of who he is and what it means to be his sheep. And uh, he's talking about the sheep hearing his voice. He's talking about him being the great shepherd, him being the door. He's making some clarity to the relationship you can have and know that you have with him. Jesus, an awesome shepherd. And uh, as he kind of closed that down, making it clear who he was and that he lays down his life for us, which we just celebrated last weekend with Good Friday and Easter. Um, We'll check out some of the things that are said here in verses uh, 19, 20, and 21. It says, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Uh, You ever notice how often that happens? Jesus delivers the truth of who he is. He's making it clear what's going on. And all of a sudden, well, you get this upsetness amongst the people. Some that are like, cool, man, that is awesome who Jesus is. And others going, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know if I'm with that. And uh, so there was division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Right. And uh, so some of them were claiming that he had lost his mind and he was being influenced by satanic forces. And uh, others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? I love that. They're like, hang on. I'm going to check your words against what I'm seeing. Yep, it's true. You're a ding dong, right? I don't agree with you. Do you see this man's works? Do you see how he's healing? That man could not see and now he can. You've got to be kidding me. This is not the words of someone affected by a demon. This is a man who is doing miracles. God's at work through him. And and I'm not standing with you on that position. At that time, you hearing it? So there was some upsetness, there was some stir and some people taking sides. And at that time, well, it was the Feast of Dedication that was taking place in Jerusalem. What's that? The Feast of Dedication. Man, it seems like the Jews had a lot of feasts, doesn't it? And uh, so this is another one. This Feast of Dedication, this did not come from the original law. This wasn't stated back in the Old Testament times. This actually was something that occurred for the first time at the end of the Old Testament, But before the New Testament started, in that 400-year gap, it occurred there. What is it? This is a war that was going on between the Jews and those around them. And there was a rebel crew 
uh, led by the Maccabeus family. And so it became the Maccabean Wars. And it was this three years of kind of guerrilla warfare at the end to sort of close it down. And at the very end, they were able to win and have victory. And so they celebrated it with this thing called the Feast of Dedication. And uh, it occurs, it says, right after it, in the winter months. It's like a November, December time frame based on the lunar calendar. And uh, we would know it today as Hanukkah. Okay, so this is Hanukkah that they're talking about celebrating and they're going after that the feast of dedication It took place in Jerusalem. It was winter November December. It's a little bit more cold. It's rainy It's a little nasty and so you might try to get some cover and check out what Jesus is doing So Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon He's underneath some protection Okay, and uh, well that makes sense, right? Because when it's cold and rainy and nasty, why not get underneath something? Right. And so that's probably what was going on here. They would spend a little bit more time underneath the overhangs and within areas where they wouldn't get wet uh, or uh, the wind blowing on them or whatever. So Jesus was walking there. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him. Respectfully, of course, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. All right. what in the world's going on with these guys? Now, the demand is, please tell me you're the Messiah, right? So if the answer would be yes, I mean, right? So please tell me you're the Messiah. Maybe it should start out more like, hey, I've seen a lot of really cool stuff and I've kind of heard and it seems like, and so just respectfully so, I'm just trying to clarify a little bit, right? Wouldn't that be a better way to approach it? Because once you come up and you're like, tell us plainly, Right. And you're like, well, maybe he wasn't yelling. It doesn't say he was yelling. Yeah. Try to say this one nicely. Hey, are you the Messiah? Tell us plainly, mister. Right. It's kind of like you're not doing what you need to do, man. Just say the words. Right. And uh, what if he answers? Yes. What if it turns out he is? Yes, I am the Messiah. I am the one who is going to be king of the universe, ruling for all eternity on David's throne. That's me. Oh. Well, good. Thank you. Uh, I apologize a little bit there then, right? How do you respond once you've jammed? Well, here's the thing. They truly did not expect to get that answer back. And at the most, if they did get the yes, I am, great. Now we can kill them. Like their job is just to get them to be stuck. That's what they're doing. That's why there's no respect in this challenge. Uh, it says, so the Jews gathered around him. They challenged him. How long will you keep us in suspense? Jesus answered them. I told you and you do not believe. I told you and you do not believe. This is a moment where as they approach, there's a group of Jews and they've decided to challenge him, right? And you can kind of see it going on. You're like, come on, man, you ask him. Go ahead. You said you were going to ask him when we were alone. You go ask him. All right, fine. I'll ask him. Hey, how long are you going to keep it? Tell us plainly. There. Is that good? Right? I challenged him, right? And Jesus is like, I told you, you do not believe. Next, can you imagine what they'd say? He told us. Did he tell you? Dude, he didn't tell me. Did he tell you? Why did you make me go tell him? Did he tell you? No, he didn't tell, right? I personally believe there was a pregnant pause here. It doesn't say how long he waited before he said the next phrase, but I think it sells well. Uh, I told you and you did not believe. The works that I do in my father's name have borne witness. Are you hearing it? 
He's saying, listen, you want words, but the works have been shouting it from the mountaintop and you're not paying attention. And uh, the works are speaking. And um, I did a little bit of looking up on communication this week and uh, might want to write these numbers down real fast. Uh, seven, 38, 55. Seven, 38, 55. That's how we communicate. 7% with words, 38% tone of voice, 55% body language. So says one science study. 7, 38, 55. And uh, so here's the deal. They're coming in and they're like, give us the words. 7%, right? And he's like, I have been communicating with you and telling you. The tone of voice, the body language, and the actions laid over the top of it. 93% of my communication has been perfectly clear. And then on top of it, my actions have corroborated it. Open up your ears, man. Open up your eyes, right? It's a big deal. And uh, the 738-55 rule, it's, it's a huge deal. Now, I, uh, I was going to demonstrate something to you with my wife, who is not here. She's at home with a fever, 101 and a half or whatever going on. So um, I'm going to now tell Mike how much I love him. <laughs> yeah, so this will go well, Mike. So here we go. Using body language, tone of... <laughs> this is the way it was going down before, man, so it's going down now. Here we go. So, Mike, I love you. I love you, man. Love having you on staff. And I love you, bro. Mike feels totally wigged out right now. Thank you. All right. Body language, tone of voice, and words. They communicate the whole picture. Okay? And you can only imagine if I was trying to communicate, I love you, and I'm like... I love you. Fine. Okay. I love you. And then I move on. And you're like, wow, you seem kind of angry tone of voice. Not really cool. What's with this whole thing over the top of and yelling and like, right. Body language, tone of voice <clears throat> had the words, right. And that's when we always get into the fights, isn't it? Where you're like, well, I said, I loved you. Right. Like that really helps. Doesn't it just to clear up the words where I love you. was saying, and I'm ticked at you, but we're not going to talk about that, right? And and so, hey, married couples, husbands and wives, when you're talking to each other, try as hard on the tone of voice and body language as you do on the words, okay? It helps a lot when you're trying to communicate. And then when you're talking with your kids and kids, when you're responding to your parents, and I'm telling you, tone of voice and body language are way more of the message even than the words sometimes. And so watch that, all right? So Jesus is like, I want you to be clear. I have communicated this. I have told you in so many ways with tone of voice, with body language, and with actions overall. I've brought it to you in a massive way and, and uh, very clearly dictating that he is the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? Well, Isaiah 35 verses four through six describes, it says, behold, your God will come with vengeance with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. When the Messiah comes, the blind will see, the lame will walk, the deaf will hear. There will be miracle upon miracle as the physical world is racked. By him. Jesus communicated that. 
I've made it clear. Okay? And uh, he says, the words, well, I've told you um, all the way along, and you just did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness, but you did not believe because you are not a part of my flock. Now, here we go. We're going to do eight things that uh, are true about being saved that Jesus rips off right here. He just lays them out flat. Eight things that are true about being saved. First, you notice he says, uh, you're not a part of my flock. Uh, if you're saved, uh, believers, you're a part of his flock. You're his sheep. All right? You're his sheep. And that means he's caring for you. That means you have protection from him. You are under him. And he is very carefully managing for your best and for his glory. Uh, we are his sheep. And secondly, it says right after it, my sheep hear my voice. That's the second thing that's true about being saved. You hear his voice. All right. It doesn't mean that you hear the audible voice of it means you understand where I'm heading. You grasp what I'm about. You know what I'm talking about. You know where I'm going with things, whether it be the Holy Spirit moving within you or the words of God being used to illuminate. You get a clarity to who he is. You hear and you get direction from this is an interaction with him and uh, huge to be saved means that he's leading us and he's talking with us. And uh, number three. That Jesus knows you personally. It says here, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Absolutely massive. The God of the universe knowing you personally. Every strength, every weakness, every next step and every need. And he loves you with all he's got. He's pouring into your life. He knows you. He loves you. I'm telling you. We walk past this one too fast. We look at salvation and we talk about some end time discussion and that's it. And I'm telling you, salvation is about right here and right now as well. He knows you. It's an amazing privilege. Believers are his sheep. We hear his voice. Jesus knows us personally. And then it says, you follow. His sheep follow. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Huge deal. There will be obedience that's coming in it. Please hear me. It is not obedience to get saved. It is I'm saved and I'm so in love with him and I'm so blown away by him that every day I'm hearing new things and clarity of what he was wanting and I'm moving in that direction. Him changing me and it's making me step out to follow him. His sheep are, well, they're following him well and uh, it's a huge deal. A privilege we have of hearing his voice and knowing the distinction and, and being able to follow in the midst of it. I didn't say this at the nine, but, uh, I just heard this story, uh, a little while back. A guy was in Israel. He was going down a mainline street and there was two shepherds and all of their sheep, this herd going down. And one shepherd turned a corner and he just started singing out loud as he went. And the sheep that were his turned and tracked with his voice. And the other shepherd kept singing out loud his and those sheep tracked with him and they split apart. My sheep hear me and they know my voice and they follow. That's a big deal. Being obedient in the midst of he's just given them a real world story that they would have gone. That's so true. Sheep do follow voices. That's all he's doing. He's just making it real for him. And uh, my sheep hear my voice and I and I know them and they follow me. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. 
I give them eternal life. That's the fifth one. He gives eternal life. It's never taken away. Eternal life. It's all about for the long haul with Jesus Christ. For all of eternity, him being glorified, us worshiping him, absolute satisfaction, total joy, awesome privilege of life with him. He gives eternal life and we shall never perish. And uh, the next one, sixth, no one can snatch him out of our hand. No one can snatch him out. It says, and they will perish, they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Uh, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Uh, eternally secure. This is a big deal. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And again, we've talked about this before, but I heard some people will say, well, yeah, but me, I mean, I can take myself out of his hand. And can I just ask you, are you someone? Are you someone? Real answer. Right? I am someone and no one can snatch them out. Man, you are changing what scripture says. You aren't just reading it for what it says. Just let it breathe. It's telling us very clearly. God's got his hand on this thing and he's going to explain a little bit more. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me. My father was good. That's number seven. Saved. That means the father gave you to him. Saved. Okay. Those who are saved, those who are trusting him, those who have faith in him, the father has given them. And uh, let's just get real clear on this. John chapter six, verse 37. John chapter six, verse 37. And if you want to throw another verse with it, verse 44. And for some of you, this is going to be something you need to think about for quite a while. Let it sit. All right. I'm good with that. But listen to John six 37. I'm going to read it out loud here. It says, all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoa. There's a lot of truth in that. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. All that the Father... How much of what the Father gives to him will come to him? All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And all that come to me, I will never cast out. Absolutely huge that we grasp. We've got God the Father invested from the beginning of time. And as the Father gives, those come. And as those come, Christ is endeared to and caring for as good shepherd. It is all about locked up guarantee in God the Father's hand. That's what it's about. And a huge deal. It says, uh, the Father has given them to me. Here's the big point. He is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Why is it so secure? Because the Father's hand is so secure. You hear me? We are absolutely secure in the Father's hand. And so number eight, the Father is greater than all. So eight things true about the believer. We are his sheep. We hear his voice. We personally are known by Jesus. We follow him as king. Uh, he gives eternal life. No one can snatch us out. We are eternally secure. Number seven, the father gives the sheep to Jesus. And number eight, the father is greater than all. Those are the truths that Jesus teaches here about salvation. Massive. Absolutely huge. And uh, so now Jesus makes one little final comment. So I've said that. Let me just put a little exclamation point on it for you. I and the father are one. I and the father are one. Okay, that's a huge statement. Everybody say that's huge. That's huge. I and the father are one. Here's what he does not mean. He doesn't mean the father and me, same guy. I am the father. He's not saying that. 
Okay. He's saying something very different and I'm going to go into a little bit. I usually don't say this much about the Greek, but we're going to go into a little bit right here. It's important, you know, so the word one, it could be either in the um, masculine, the feminine or the neuter. If it's in the masculine, then it's tied to father. I and the father are one. If it's in the masculine, he means I'm the father. If it's in the neuter, he's saying I'm sharing the same essence as the father and yet I'm separate from the father. So when he says I and the father are one in the neuter, he's saying this. I and the father, we share the same essence. I am not father, but I and the father are both God. Okay. If you don't believe me on that, hang on. We're going to see their interpretation in just a second. It'll come up in the next point. Huge deal. I and the father are one. Everybody say it's huge. Man, we got to be careful that we get this. This is a massive point. This is the Trinity being spoken of by Jesus Christ. God, the father, God, the son, and yet all one God, one God in essence, three God in person. That's what he's delivering up here. And they're like, what? Kill him. That's what they did. They were completely confused. You and the father are one. Look at the result. Uh, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. That's what they did. They're like, you and the father, you and the father are one. It doesn't make, it makes no sense. Give me a brick. That's the result. Notice it says they picked up stones again to stone him. Remember John chapter eight has occurred a couple chapters before this. And this is when Jesus was talking about, um, before Abraham was, I am. Right? The appropriate grammar would have been before Abraham was, I was. Right? But he says, before Abraham was, I am. And he calls out the special personal name of Yahweh, which means I am. He's declaring, I'm the I am. And and they knew it. They picked up stones to stone him. Okay? And this is the second time. Question. Have you ever had somebody pick up stones to stone you? Have you ever had somebody pick up a brick and they're like, that's it. All of us are going to throw stones at your head until you die. Yeah, that's not really something we experience. Jesus is on number two already. All right. And a uh, huge deal. The Jews pick up stones again to stone him. Uh, they weren't getting what he was saying. They weren't catching who he was. Big deal. So um, many of you know our family hunts. Uh, I love to go out hunting, deer hunting. And uh, I've had my girls out deer hunting in the last several years. And, and uh, deer hunting is um, a blast. There's a ton to learn. There's a lot to get down. Um, and so we talk a little bit while we're out there whispering, of course. But, you know, you're talking and you're learning as you go. And, and uh, there's things you need to teach along the way. And so we chit-chat about a few things. And usually the biggest thing is uh, you hunt with your eyes. Obviously, you're looking, right? But you also hunt with your ears. And uh, if you don't hunt with your ears, you'll often miss what's going on, okay? So a lot of times we're sitting there and, and I'll say, did you hear that? And, and this is what I'd usually get in the first year or two. What? Hear what? I hear a lot of things. What are you talking about? Did you hear that blue jay squawk? What's a blue jay? Right? So then you have to start teaching what a blue jay looks like, what a blue jay sounds like, the squawk that they set off as an alarm. And so then you're like, did you hear that bird? And they're like, you're kidding me. I hear 5,000 birds, right? You know, pick the one out that's making the blue jay squawk. Do you hear that squawking sound? 
That, that squawking sound, they start rallying two and three of them together. That means something's moving through, either a coyote or a deer. Something's moving through. Get ready. And uh, so we talk about that, okay? And we get them all kind of set. And now they're starting to listen for the bird thing. And then you're like, did you hear that? I did not hear a bird quacking. I did not. Did you hear that squirrel? What? What are you talking about? Did you hear the squirrel bark? You know what I'm talking about when you've heard a squirrel bark? I kind of do that like this. You know what I'm talking about? And they're sitting on the end. You see their tail kind of going, right? They're saying something when they do that. They're saying, something's coming through the area and I don't like it. Okay, that's what they're saying. So when you hear a squirrel barking, get ready. Something's coming through. Okay, and so we start teaching you these things. Listen for the squirrels and listen for the blue jays. And, and then we're like, did you hear those leaves rustle? You're kidding me. We're in a forest. Of course, I've heard leaves rustle, right? And the wind blowing and the, but this one, it's very specific. You hear a crack. It's very sharp sound to it. Something's stamping down into it. They're walking. This isn't just the leaves blowing and you start to listen differently. You hear things you wouldn't have heard. Because you're listening for them. Man, you will always hear what you listen for. Okay? What were they listening for as they sat before Jesus? What are you listening for as you sit before Jesus? Are you just listening for a way that you can finally find him guilty and get rid of him because you don't want to listen to him? Or are you listening for his declaration of, I am God? I and the Father are one, and I am demonstrating it with my works. Are you letting Jesus speak to you and clearly delineate to you who he is? Listen. He's making it clear. Huge deal. So simple question. What are you listening for with Christ? Some of us, we need to stop listening to try to find him guilty. And we need to start listening to see him as king. It's time to respond to him. And uh, the challenge, simply put, we put, hear his voice and follow. May you follow him, obey him, let him be in charge. King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is God. All right? Second, Jesus claimed to be God himself. Believe him. Second point, Jesus claimed to be God himself. Believe him. And, uh, As we work into this point, verse 32, notice it starts out. Jesus answered them. What? Look what came right before it. It says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them. It doesn't say they said anything. It says they picked up stones. They were going to whip stuff. This is what happened. He said, I and the father are one. And they went, oh, no, you didn't. Give me a brick. Here we go. And Jesus answered them. They spoke. Doesn't say they used words, but they spoke. They had tone of voice. They had body language as they were rumbling amongst each other and picking up stones to throw them. And Jesus had an answer for them. It says, Jesus answered them. I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Jesus just calling them out. Hey, bro. Is it the blind man that's bothering you? Or is it the guy who's walking that's bothering you? Is it the 5,000 that are happy and not hungry anymore? Is that what's bothering you? What's bothering you? Notice he keeps calling them to his works, right? And uh, they're pretty direct. They give an answer. The Jews answered him, 
It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Can we be more clear? Make yourself God. Anybody that says that it's not recorded in Scripture that Jesus was declaring that he's God. Anybody that says that, they're not reading the passages. Okay? It says, you're making yourself God. All right? And and we got a problem with that because you are a mere man. They have stated their original position and from that they can't get to the end point correctly. Well, the problem is that he's not mere man. That's their problem. And they're running into this issue at hand. Uh, Jesus answered them. Now get ready. Jesus answer is going to be a two part statement. And this is a huge deal. Okay. A lot of people use this, this scripture right now and they twist it up and they end up throwing the whole thing away. Be very careful. Jesus has got a two part statement and his first statement is this. It's not about the words. Be careful. You're trying to say you don't like my words. But that would be very hypocritical of you. Because you're good with some things said just like I said it in other places and you're not doing anything about them. Be careful. Your hypocrisy is showing you out. You're just standing against me. It's not about the words and you know it. Now let's see how he showed it. Check this. He says, is it not written in your law? Do you hear that little pronoun? Your law? Come on, boys. Can't disown it. We all know it's yours. You've accepted it, right? Jesus was accepting it as well, but he's making it clear. Do you see that it's in your scripture? Here we go. It's in your law. I said you are gods. Now, this is a a quote from Psalm chapter 82. Okay. This is a quote that was given from God Almighty talking to the rulers, those judges that he had put in place to execute his will and to execute his justice. But instead, they did terrible jobs. And God was holding them accountable, these judges, okay? And so when you put someone in in charge under God, he ends up being able to say, you on my behalf are working, you are gods. In fact, he's calling out their power that they had. He was using that, the original word in the Hebrew there means you're the one with powers, okay? And so he's saying, you are gods. And uh, he's calling them out and he's saying, you're allowing that passage to reside, Without any tearing it out of script. Why aren't you going over and tearing it out and saying, hey, there was just the word God applied to somebody I'm seeing in the man form. And I'm, and why don't you just tear that out if that's so hypocritical? And, and that was about really bad judges. Now, for those who think that Jesus is trying to say, I wasn't trying to say I'm God. I wasn't. If you're thinking that's what he was saying, look at the next statements that he makes. Uh, If he called them gods in whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, Right. You don't get to change this, boys. You don't get to tear it out and you don't get to say it goes away and you, you're stuck with it. We have it here. If that's all true, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Do you hear what he just said of himself? Do you say of the one that the father consecrated and sent? I'm just telling you when people are going to throw stones at you. The worst thing you can say is, God the Father has sent me with a separated apart purpose, and I'm here for... That's not a good moment if you're just trying to calm him down. He's declaring the authority that God's giving him. God the Father is giving him. And he's saying, I'm consecrated, I'm set apart, and I'm sent. And yes, let me tell you, the words that apply to me, he goes on right here. He says, if I am... I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. 
Do you say of the one whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? Saying you're the son of God. Wait a minute. He said I and the father are one. Where did he say son of God? Remember, you have to have the right understanding of that word one. And that he's saying I and the father were not the same. We're different. God the father, God the son, and yet sharing the Godhead. This was another declaration of the being the son of God. Everybody say, that's a huge deal. And a son of God, and I, I tell you, I wasn't going to say this, and but now I'm going to say this. And uh, so I was flipping through the channels this last week and uh, watching TV a little bit and uh, ran across the Colbert Report. I don't usually watch that, but they had a guy on they were interviewing who declared that Jesus is not God, and uh, he declared only to be the son of God, and we shouldn't listen to him. And so Colbert was interviewing him, but he was bringing it to him, man. He was not letting him get away with anything. And at one point he goes, hey, you say that he's the son of God, but not God. And the guy said, that's right. And he goes, can I ask you a question? What's the son of a duck? Let that settle. What is the son of a duck? And the answer is duck, right? And so who's the son of God? God. And you're like, for those of you who are going, well, wait a minute, we're all sons of God. Adopted sons of God. There is one begotten son of God. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is God. Amen? Amen. Clear enough? All right. Clear enough? Yes. Need that answer. John chapter 5. I'm just going to jump there real quick. Don't go there. Just listen to this. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, that's what was going on in John 5 in their view, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Clear? Jesus is, yes, the son of God. Jesus is God. Yes, yes. I and the father are one. Yes, all true. All right. Huge deal. And uh, he says right after it, um, if I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. This is the second part of his argument. The first part, it's not about the words, boys, and you know it. The second part, it's about the works and you don't like it. Now you watch these works and you see what happens and you let them move you. Here we go. He says, if I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I'm in the father. You watch the works at hand. You see the miracles taking place. You watch how God is being glorified and people are being transformed and you let those works convince you. I am absolutely from the father. I am absolutely God himself. Son of God and God, deal with it as the works before you rock your world. All right? Huge deal. And uh, he then says, he closes it out, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. All right, that the Father is in me. Like God the Father's influencing him and he's taken up residence for a season, making an impact. And, and the Jews were good with that. The Father impacts us. And I am in the Father. What? Are you saying the Father is dependent upon your existence? Are you saying there's some kind of mutual sharing between you? That's ridiculous. Give me a brick. Right? That's where they were at again. It's done. And look what it says at the end. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. It, uh, it doesn't say how he escaped. Uh, we don't know. 
Was it one of those moments where he just blinded them and uh, so they couldn't see him anymore and he just kind of wandered through them and they just didn't know who he was? Is that what it was? Or was it something more aggressive than that? It doesn't say. All we know, I mean, could Jesus have literally just been like, they go in to pick up bricks and arrest him and he's like, bam, nobody can see me. Deal with that work. Right? Is that, I don't know. It doesn't say what he's doing. It doesn't say what happened. All we know is somehow Jesus is out of it and there really is no problems that occur with him. And hey man, it'll always be in his timing. And this was not the time. And uh, when Jesus went to the cross, it was absolutely his time. Amen. And he set it up that way. It says, uh, he went away again to the Jordan, uh, to the place where John had been baptizing in the first where that, uh, and that's where he remained. Jesus went away to another place where he had been shared of and talked about. Let me just get this square, okay? Jesus is God. Just say it with me. Jesus is God. Say it bigger. Jesus is God. All right. I'm going to say, don't be fooled. And your answer is, Jesus is God. All right. Don't be fooled. Get ready. I'm going to give you seven other passages that tell us that Jesus is God. Good to have these written down. All right. Number one. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14, putting them together. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the Word. And in the beginning, He was God, and He became flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14. Uh, Don't be fooled. Yeah, we dropped the ball on that. Uh, Don't be fooled. Get ready. It's going to be after every point. First Timothy three sixteen. It says God was made manifest in the flesh. God was made manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. First Timothy three sixteen. Don't be fooled. All right. John chapter eight, verse 58. That's the third one. And uh, this is where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And he declared the personal name of God for himself. He said, I am the I am. And uh, they knew it. They picked up stones to stone him. Um, Don't be fooled. John chapter 8, verse 58. Number 4, John chapter 20, verse 28. And uh, Jesus appeared to many disciples, one of them being Thomas. And he revealed the wounds on his hand. And Thomas said unto him, my Lord and my God. Okay, Thomas declaring he's God. Jesus isn't like, whoa, whoa, don't be saying that. He didn't do any of that. He's like, bring it. That's right. That's who I am. And uh, Jesus is God. Thomas saw it. Thomas declared it. John chapter 20, verse 28. Uh, don't be fooled. Jesus is God. Colossians 1.16. By him, all things were created. By him, all things were... Hang on. Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning, God created... Colossians 1.16. In him... You guys have had more good timing this year with that thunder. <laughs> Colossians 1.16, by him all things were created. And Jesus said, amen. And uh, don't be fooled. All right. Number six, Titus 2.13. This is probably one of my favorites for the proof. Pretty clear, pretty simple. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right. Jesus is... Hebrews 1.8, number 7. Hebrews 1.8. But of the Son, this is the Father speaking, of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
God the Father speaking of God the Son, and he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. All right? God the Father testifying to who he is. Jesus Christ testifying to who he is. Thomas and other disciples testifying to who he is. The scriptures recording it in multiple places. Yes, it is fact. Jesus is God. Don't be kidded. Don't step away from it. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It is clear. Our God, he came and dwelt among us. He loves us and he laid down his life for us. He is the great shepherd. He is the door. He is our savior and king. Jesus Christ is God. And all of God's people said, look at the result when you get who he is. It says right at the end, and many came to him. And they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. Everything that John said about this man was true. Man, that's God at work. When the veil is being torn off and you start to see Jesus for who he is, God at work. All right? And it closes out. When God is at work, it says, and many believed in him there. Praise be to God. Simple question. Jesus is God. Are you following him as God? Are you believing in him as your good shepherd who's laying down his life for you, who loves you, who gave it all for you? Do you get what your God is doing for you? Jesus is God. Let me just read this real quickly. It's going to be in the song that we sing at the end here, but truth about Jesus. You are good. You are love. You are light. You are hope. You are peace. You are true. You are joy. This is who Jesus is. You are life. You are more. You are Lord. You are here. You are God. And all of God's people said, that's who we're worshiping. That's who we're praising. Let's go to guns and prayer.